great to see everybody tonight. Hopefully you are here and rested up after a good weekend that you've had. Uh, I want to start just by thanking you guys for your prayers over the last week. Uh, the last week has been one of the hardest weeks of my life, and your prayers have been felt, and I just really appreciate it uh, greatly. Uh, Allison and I traveled on Thursday and Friday over to West Tennessee uh, to celebrate the life of a great friend, and I, I just really want to thank you uh, for being there for us. Uh, last Sunday, I've told several people this, but uh, we had just found out that our friend had died in a car wreck. Uh, when we came to church Sunday morning, and I told Allison that um, I didn't really want to come in. Y'all know that feeling, and I'm being transparent with you because I want you to know that we all feel that way sometimes. I didn't really want to see anybody. I kind of wanted to just be to myself for a little while and, and, and grieve, but uh, after All in One and after spending some time with you guys, it really touched my heart. And I felt the Spirit of God working through you to impact our lives. And I walked away being more thankful for you. So thank you. Thank you for that. I also want to thank Joseph for his excellent message this morning. Uh, it was just very special to me, uh, of course, as an expecting father. Uh, but I appreciate also his challenge to us as a church to be prepared uh, that if these laws do change one day, to be prepared to take care of these children that will be out there, uh, these children that will be born. I appreciate his challenge to us in that way. Uh, and Joseph was in the Old Testament this morning, so I focused my studies in the book of Ephesians. And in fact, Joseph mentioned this morning that he sat down and read through the entire letter of Ephesians. And Allison and I did the same thing. In tonight's lesson, uh, I want to talk to you about some of the observations that I had when I did that. Uh, so go ahead, turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, break open your Bible, and uh, be ready to, to study. I also want to make you aware of a resource that's out there. Uh, this resource is very helpful to me. Um, if, if you, how many people have ever heard of YouTube? Anybody? <laughs> Okay, we got a few. So on YouTube, there's this thing called the Bible Project. And uh, the Bible Project is something that I love to use. And uh, it's very cool. And what it is, is it these guys who have put great study into every book of the Bible. And they've made about a six to ten minute video on every book of the Bible. And it's pretty incredible. They go in, and it's a drawing, so for any artsy people out there, maybe it'll connect with your mind. It connects with mine, even though I'm not that artsy. But uh, it's a drawing, and he talks you through the entire book in about six to ten minutes. I think the longest ones are about 11 minutes long. Uh, so after we read through the whole letter of Ephesians, we went on YouTube and all you have to do is type in Bible Project and the book that you're wanting to watch. And uh, it'll pop up on your screen. And I use this with the youth group. In fact, I used it this morning as we were studying the book of Joshua. Uh, and I use it as a recap sometimes to help, me, help us remember what we've been studying to kind of catch us up. But for me, it was really cool to see how the entire book 
comes together as one whole picture. And so, after reading the entire letter and watching this video, it was very helpful to me to see a little bit more about the book of Ephesians. So I I would encourage you uh, to do that sometime. Uh, Now, Paul's first uh, visit to Ephesus is recorded in Acts chapter 19. Now, I would encourage you to go and read it. I'm not going to get into all the details tonight. It's really riveting, uh, the, the interchange that he has with the people of Ephesus. And he has a great relationship with these people. Now, this book was supposedly written in Rome and is dated uh, to Acts chapter 28. So, Paul is confined in Rome in Acts chapter 28. So, that's another, if you're interested in the book of Ephesians, go and read Acts chapter 28 and get an idea of what was going on in Paul's life uh, when, when this happened. And so that's where scholars believe that it happened in Acts chapter 28. Uh, but the first time that Paul is in the city of Ephesus is Acts chapter 19. And I'm going to hit some of the highlights, but I encourage you to go and read that account. Uh, Ephesus is known as a huge port city. Ephesus was a big city. And uh, there were a number of people who worshipped there. However, they weren't always worshipping the one true God in Ephesus. They had some trouble with idols. And that was a struggle that they had. There was a theater that was located in the center of the city. This theater supposedly held about 20,000 people. And that theater still stands today. There it is. That's actually a picture of the theater in Ephesus today, which is somewhere in modern day Turkey. And so this is pretty cool to see. I I thought it was cool. It kind of opened my mind to this book and what's going on there. And in Acts chapter 19, after Paul left Ephesus, a riot started. And it says in Acts 19, verse 29, it says, they rushed together into the theater. So it's pretty cool that that theater is still standing. And to think about how many people rushed into that theater in Ephesus to chant uh, some words towards an unknown God is what they were chanting towards. And later... When Paul is confined in Rome, he is riding back to this city, this city of influence, a city of great potential, Ephesus. So flip over to Ephesians if you're not there yet, and I want us to work through some parts of this book. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 11 and 12. Because it will help us to understand a little bit about this book. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, remember this, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. Now, Paul paints a pretty bleak picture in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Pretty bleak. Pretty dark. And in order to see what the Gospel has to offer you, sometimes you have to reflect on the dark moments in your life. Have you ever been on the outside looking in? I want you to think about that. Have you ever been on the outside looking in? Because that's what these Ephesians experienced. When Christ first came to the world, the Gospel was taken to the Jews. And going all the way back to Abraham, there was kind of a wall built around God's people. Now this barrier kept most people out of the kingdom of God, including the people that lived in Ephesus. Have you ever felt on the outside looking in? Now honestly, I've felt on the outside looking in several times in my life. Uh, Maybe for you, you can relate to me when you played sports. And you kind of felt on the outside where you wanted to play really bad, but maybe your skill level just wasn't quite up to it. That's kind of how I felt a lot of times. Uh, especially when I played football and all the other guys got to play. Um, now, when I talk about a football team that I played on, it wasn't like this big high school, you know, 75 players on the team. There were about... 17 players on the team. And I still didn't get to play, okay? So even when, even when the worst players that played got tired, I still didn't go in. So that's how bad it was for me. I felt on the outside looking in. And maybe you felt that way before too. And I believe that Paul is trying to take them back to that place. He's saying, look, before... You were in the dark. You were on the outside. You were not part of the kingdom of God. There was a boundary around you. And you know what? Without being in Christ, that is where you are. That's where I am. And when my relationship with Christ is broken, I'm in the exact same place. Paul's not just talking to Ephesians. He's talking to us. He's saying, look, when you're not in Christ, you're on the outside. And listen, there was a time when you couldn't be on the inside. But I love how he keeps going. Look at verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, the blood of Christ changes everything. Right? The blood of Christ takes people in Ephesians who were once on the outside looking in. The blood of Christ takes people like us who were once in sin and pulls us into Christ. How incredible is that? That's incredible. And I don't want you to miss what he's saying there. No longer is there a barrier between you and Christ. When you are baptized and you become one with the blood of Christ and you come into contact with the blood of Christ, there's no barrier. That's incredible. Don't ever let yourself forget how incredible that is. And Paul wants these Ephesians to know the Gospel. 
And he keeps going. Look at verses 19 through 22. When he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. So he's saying, You used to be strangers and aliens, but no longer are you strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are a key part of the team. Now that speaks to me. You're not a nobody. You once were. <laughs> you, once, you used to be a nobody. You were alienated. You were strangers. But you're not that anymore. You're not that anymore. You are a key part of the team. Embrace it. Become one with Christ. You are being separated from God, but the death and resurrection of Christ gives you hope. Now, Ephesians 4 starts the second part of the book of Ephesians. The first part, as you can see up there on the left side, the first part, the first three chapters, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, is focused mostly around the gospel story. The gospel story. And the last three chapters are the second part of the book. And what I love about the last three chapters is that it talks about our story. Your story. So he starts out with the gospel story. And then he says, this is how the gospel story should affect you. This is how the gospel story impacts your life. And so I want you to look at chapter 4 as we start to dig in to see, okay, we get the first part, that there used to be a barrier around us, we used to be separated from God, but because of the blood of Christ, we are, we are one with Christ. Now we're accepted, we're in the family, so now this. Look at verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. And he's saying, because you are now part of God's family... Because you are part of the team, accepted into a new lineage, he says, because of that, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now that you are part of this family, here's how you should walk. And that's what he says in verse 1. He says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He says in the first three chapters, this is your calling. And then starting in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, now this is how I want you to react to your calling. So I hope you're tracking with me there. For those of you who were at the teaching rocket, you will know this already. But one of the things that Michael Whitworth talked about at the teaching rocket was this thing called a word cloud. Does anybody remember that? A word cloud? Shake your hand, head like this. A word cloud. Word clouds are pretty cool. It's where you take a bunch of words and you put them into this software and then it pops out. John, you know what I'm talking about. John asked a great question at Teaching Rocket about the word cloud. 
And uh, if anyone wants to use the word cloud, you go on Google, type in word cloud, and the first result that pops up lets you do it for free. So I know he mentioned some kind of paid thing, but I'm cheap. I'm all about the free stuff. And so I found a free way to do this, and you can too. It's pretty simple. So uh, here's the word cloud of the whole book. Let's see. Oh, I went way too far. We're trying some new technology tonight too. So far it's been smooth, but there's bound to be some kind of hiccup, right? Here's the word cloud. I took the whole book of Ephesians and put it into a word cloud. That's why there's so many words. And the bigger the word, the more times the word was used. Okay? So, I want to ask you first, what are some words that you see up there? Anybody? Christ. You see Christ up there. It's really big. What else? God. Jesus. Lord. Spirit. One. Now, there's some pretty incredible stuff. And I want to I wanna tell you, I looked in this word cloud. You can copy and paste the whole chapters. And then you put it in this word cloud. And it, you can look at the word list and see how many times each word was used. Because sometimes looking at that, you can't tell. You know, I'm kind of looking at it. I'm like, is Christ bigger than Lord? Is, is God bigger than Lord? What about one? So here's how it breaks down. Um, the word Christ was used 44 times in the book of Ephesians. Pretty good bit, pretty good bit of times. The word God was used 30 times. The word one was used 29 times. Pretty cool, right? Now this word reveals a theme, and I thought it was cool, and uh, what he showed us at the teaching rocket helped me a lot in in seeing this, look at verses 2 through 7. Uh, this word becomes a great theme. When he's, when he's in these last three chapters, when he's trying to put us in the story, and he's saying, look, this is how your story should react to the gospel. The word one is very important to a theme in Ephesians. Look at verses 2 through 7. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Now, when you think about what, what is Paul, when you look at this word cloud and you see that one is used just as many times as God and Jesus and Spirit and Lord, what is Paul trying to say to us? Paul is trying to challenge his people to be united. He says, look, yeah, you used to be separated. You used to be separated by this barrier that was around you. But quit acting like you're still separated, right? 
Quit acting like there's still a barrier between you and these other people. Now you are one. You are called to be united. Realize that for those who are in Christ, work to bring a spirit of peace and a spirit of unity into those relationships. You see that? You see what he's saying to us? You're not separated anymore. Realize that there are other people out there, this may be a surprise, but there are other people out there who are not perfect. And this also may be a surprise to you. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We are not perfect people, but grace was given to us so that we can be one. That despite our inadequacies, despite our imperfections, that we as a church family are still one. Pretty cool what Paul is trying to say to us. So look at verse 15 of chapter 4 still. Verse 15. He says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. We are to unite and we are to grow towards who? Say it together. Christ. Christ is the head. And we are to grow up towards Christ. So quit being separated. Quit drawing barriers between your brothers and sisters. And instead, start trying to be bridge builders. Build bridges towards each other so that together we can grow up towards Christ. And over the next couple of chapters, Paul shows us what it looks like in different situations. When he talks about verse 15, or when he, when he says verse 15, the next few chapters he talks about what it looks like for us to grow up towards Christ and how that affects us and how it changes us. That we are to put off the old self. Look at verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify to the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So he says, No longer walk like you used to. No longer walk like you used to. And then he goes on to say, These Gentiles... They are darkened, alienated from the life of God, hard-hearted, callous, given up to sensuality, greedy. He mentions all these things in the next few verses. But jump down to verse 22. Verses 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We talk a lot about this. About putting off the old self. We like to talk about it. In fact, it's a key thing that we talk about often before baptism, right? Before baptism, we like to talk about these are some things that we've been doing and now these are some things we're going to do now that we're, 
we're one in Christ. I think we do a good job of talking about that. But so many of us decide to be baptized. And the only thing that changes in us is that we get to start taking the Lord's Supper with everybody else on Sundays. And, and maybe that's the only thing that changed with you. I know for, for a long time in my life, I feel like that was, the big, that was the big change for me when I got baptized. I was 10 years old, and I understood, and I was excited. And, and I was excited to start taking the, the Lord's Supper with everybody on Sunday mornings. But sometimes we stop there. And I want you to remember that as Christians, we are works in progress. We won't be perfect until we're with Christ. We are works in progress. And we haven't put off the old self completely. And if you haven't been working on putting off that old self, it's not too late to start. It's time for us to start really looking at this genuinely and saying, what does it look like for me to put off the old self? What does the new self look like for me? Because if we're not the new self yet, then as Christians we need to start stepping towards being the new self. And as he goes through this list of different ways that Christians should be different than non-Christians, he says, look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. So he says, look, non-Christians get drunk with wine. But he says, but you, the new you, be filled with the Spirit. Now we're lucky because he goes straight into a section where he says what this looks like. He says, be filled with the Spirit. In fact, I want you to be filled with the Spirit and here's how it looks. So let's look at this in verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Through the Spirit, we are to sing together and sing alone. Isn't that cool? Now, you may not know this about me, but I love to sing. I love it. Maybe you do know that. It brings joy. And in fact, singing brings emotion. I've been telling people this the last couple of days because I've experienced it. On Friday, I got to lead a couple of songs at my friend's funeral. And I realized, and it's becoming more and more apparent to me, that singing brings emotions up in my heart. Because songs say things sometimes that I want to say, but I don't know how to. But it's not just talking about singing. He's also just talking about praising God. We look forward to praising God together in song. Even people who, maybe you'll say, you know, I can't really sing, but I love to sit. And I sing in my heart, and I listen to it. Maybe you say that. Because singing helps you to praise God. How do you praise God alone? I don't want us as a church family to only praise God on Sunday or to only praise God on Wednesday night when we're together. We need to figure out how we as Christians can praise God 
when we're alone. Singing does something and praising does something for your soul that needs to be done. And you need to be thinking about how you can do that when you're alone. And I love that when he thinks about the Spirit, the first thing that comes to his mind is singing. I love that. And you can see that in those verses. He says, you be filled with the Spirit singing together. I love it. I just love it. And the next thing he says, look, look down at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit, we are to be thankful. What are you thankful for tonight? I've tried to mention that throughout this sermon. I'm thankful to be with you. When you lose a friend, it changes your perspective on life, doesn't it? Many of you have been there too. And suddenly, the time you spend with the people you love means so much to you. The time you spend with the church means a lot to you. That's what I'm thankful for tonight. I'm thankful for my son, who I get to feel move around in the womb. Isn't that cool? (laughs) It's super cool, and I'm thankful for it. What are you thankful for? Because through the Spirit, we are to be people who are thankful. Thankful. And we need to be reflecting on the things that we're thankful for. Because we're blessed. We're blessed, and and Paul wants them to see that. He says, you used to be cut off from Christ, but now you're one with Him, and He's blessed you with all these things. Be thankful for it. Now look at verse verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Through the Spirit, we are to serve others. Others. And he even goes in to illustrate this point. Paul talks about Christian families. So so look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. That's where we're going to look. First at 22 through 24, as he talks about Christian families, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives are submit to their husbands. The wife here is called to allow her husband to be responsible for her. To respect him. But too many times these verses have been used to give men power. Right? Power. But what he does, and I think the, the idea he's trying to get at here, is not that men have power over their wives, but look at what he says. It's beautiful. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Husbands, aren't supposed to necessarily just be powerful over their wives. But they're supposed to serve their wives. Isn't that cool? Think about how Christ 
lived and how Christ loved the church. Christ had plenty of opportunities to set up an earthly kingdom. Christ had plenty of opportunities to assert His power over the earth, didn't He? He had plenty of power Himself, and He had plenty of opportunities to say, hey, I'm the King here. Let me show you how I reign on this earth. Husbands, you aren't called to put your foot down and take power. You are called to be a servant. To give up your life for your wife. I love the way he says that. And the way he compares marriage to the church and Christ's relationship with the church. We are called to serve others. To put ourselves second put others before us, especially in our marriages. In Ephesians 6, Paul closes out the book challenging its readers to put on the whole armor of God. As he's closing out, he's reminding us that, look, you have the Spirit. There's no barrier anymore. You are in the Spirit But he also reminds us that Satan wants to steal it all away. Okay? I don't want you to forget that. He says, look, you've been given the power of the Spirit. You have a special power to serve others. You have a special power to love others. But you know what? As long as you're on earth, as long as we're in this broken place, Satan will do everything he can to steal it away. So be prepared. Put on the whole armor of God. I saw something on Friday that I've never seen. Thursday, I mean. Um, My friend's father, he's an elder at a church there in Savannah. And Thursday night, as we were finishing out the visitation, of this, fun- of this night. Grueling process for families, right? They had been there from five to nine. And I've never seen so many people at a funeral. We were there. It closed off at nine and we didn't leave till 11 p.m. And the families were tired. They're exhausted. And the dad who just lost his son, he did something I've never seen happen. He called his other fellow elders together. And he stopped. And he prayed for them. You ever seen anything like that? How he had the capacity to do that, I don't know. He just lost a son. And one of my friends took a picture of him in arms around his brothers, around the other elders and their wives, And he led a prayer. Now, what that tells me is that he had on the whole armor of God. Because Satan, this side of eternity, in my opinion, Satan hit him in a way that will steal everything from you. And I can't imagine, I can't even start to know how he felt. 
to lose a son. But because he had the Spirit of God, because he put on the whole armor of God, when Satan threw his very best flaming dart at him, he was prepared. And the Spirit of God took over him in a way that cannot be explained. Look at verses 16 through 18 as we close out. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The only way for you to prepare yourself now is to become more in contact with the blood of Christ. To be baptized, if you haven't. To, to refocus yourself, if you need to. Because, like I said, you have the Spirit of God, but Satan wants to steal that from you. Don't let him do it. If you have a need tonight, come forward as we stand and sing.